1988, in Bruno, Nebraska, there was a farmer who had a dilemma. Every year his barn would be flooded and cause all kinds of damage and interruption in his farming. So he had this incredible idea to move the barn to drier ground. But instead of hiring someone to actually move it, had an incredible idea. Why don't we do it by hand? And here's actually a picture of what happened in 1988 in Bruno, Nebraska. 344 people gathered around this nine-ton structure and had bars that they'd made for handles, picked it up, and walked 115 feet to a new foundation and set it down. Moved a barn by hand. Amazing. It's kind of incredible how many projects like that that on their face would be, you've got to be kidding me, impossible. But when people put their time and talent and energy and join together, it is kind of amazing what we can accomplish. And that's what we're going to be talking about today in God's Word. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 3. Before we get to, there, to that, in the New Testament, we have a lot of pictures of this, don't we? If you read in the New Testament, you read of we're the body of Christ. The church is made up of all kinds of parts, but together we're the body of Christ doing our own part, accomplishing God's mission on this earth. But in the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, which we've been studying, we're going to see today in chapter 3 an incredible picture of what can happen when God's people come together and serve. Nehemiah 3, by the way, by the way it's one of those chapters, if you're doing your through the Bible devotional reading, if you're like me, you usually skim through it or jump over it because it has all kinds, full of unpronounceable Hebrew names over and over and over again. So, we're, so we kind of miss it because it's so rich, but kind of hard to read. So last week we looked at Nehemiah chapter 2, uh, and Nehemiah has come from the palace. The king's given him his blessing. Go back. The walls are broken down around Jerusalem. It's a, it's a shame. God's people are not having the dignity and the worth that they should have as God's people. So Nehemiah comes to Jerusalem, scouts out the walls, begins to talk, gets some feel for what's going on, encourages people to get on board with this project, and then if you were with us last week, you know the opposition started already. It's going to continue throughout the whole building project. Um, and here's a map, by the way, of, of the, the wall around Jerusalem. It's important to see kind of where it's at, the sheep gate, the inspection gate. All these are going to be gates that we're going to run into in this chapter and throughout this book. So it gives you a little bit of a picture of the scope of what's going on. But in a similar way, in our lives... There are all kinds of broken down gates. And in a similar way, I think Nehemiah is actually, among other things, it's, Nehemiah is a type of Christ. And as a type of Christ, what that means is that kind of prefiguring and showing us a little bit of what Jesus did when he left his privileged place in a palace because we were living among rubble. And Jesus came and said, I'm going to step away from my privileged place and come and live among these people and show them how to rebuild this rubble, show them how to honor God, show them how God's name can be made great. When we look around us, we see broken down walls of mental illness, of alcoholism, disease, sex trafficking. We see brokenness of materialism and divorce. We see racism. We see violence in our world and in our communities. Like the people of Nehemiah, we've become kind of accustomed to that. And sometimes we can watch the evening news or we can read the newspaper and we can see all that's going on and, and sort of respond that, yeah, that's sad, but not be deeply moved by it. Which if you were with us a few weeks ago when Adam shared the first 
a message from Nehemiah 1. That was kind of the big calling was to, to look at the things going on and be moved by something, be moved by the brokenness in this world, by the rubble that's all around us. But how do we work together as a church? How do we work together as Christians? How do we work together as churches following Jesus to rebuild the brokenness in our lives? I'm going to draw five principles from Nehemiah chapter 3. There are many more we could draw, but I'm just going to draw five principles that we can apply to our own ministry here and transfer it to what we do here at First Free. The first principle is that we need to begin and end with redemption. We need to begin and end with redemption. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. By the way, the scripture I'm going to read to you today, not all of it is going to be up on the screen, so um, just, I may read more than what's on the screens, just so you're aware. It's not a, not a mistake. Just, just hang with me or follow along in your own Bibles. Nehemiah chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Then Eliashib, the high priest, and the other priests started to rebuild the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set up its doors, building the wall as far as the Tower of the Hundred. When they dedicated, which they dedicated, and the Tower of Hananel, People from the town of Jericho worked next to them, and beyond them was Zechur, the son of Imri. Now, it's fitting that the priests were the first ones mentioned in the story of rebuilding the wall. And it's also fitting that the priests begin by rebuilding the sheep gate. In doing this, they not only showed they support the wall as the religious leaders in Jerusalem, but they also showed their demonstration of actually rolling up their sleeves and getting to work on the wall with everyone else. They weren't going to sit back and let the laity do the work. The priests were deeply involved. Now, the gate that they rebuilt and dedicated was called the sheep gate think this is important. Sheep are the most frequently mentioned animal in all of the Bible. There are about 400 references to sheep in the Bible. If we include references to shepherds, there could be even more, or flocks, there could be even more. Additionally, the figure of a shepherd receives hundreds of references. Sheep are a central picture of God's work in the Old Testament. Some of the greatest men in the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, David, Moses, Amos, shepherd, 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 shepherd. Even in the New Testament, we read of the lost flock of Israel as a description of God's people in the Old Testament. Jesus, when he came to earth incarnate, his, his birth was announced first to who? To a group of shepherds who are caring for their sheep. This is significance. It's a lot more than the naming rights to a sports complex in our day. The sheep gate meant something incredible in this context. Probably the most used gate in all of Jerusalem. There were times when there would be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sheep coming through this gate, brought into Jerusalem by worshipers who were coming to worship Yahweh, and they were coming to bring their sacrifices for the forgiveness of their sin, for restitution for their own sin, for reconciliation with God and with other people. John the baptizer proclaimed this of Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 29. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the Lamb of God. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Afterwards, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the sheep gate, which is this gate, was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, 
lay on their, port, on their porches. So this very well might have been, we don't know for sure, but this might have been the very gate that Jesus entered into Jerusalem in on Palm Sunday when he came in as the lamb who was going to be sacrificed for our sin, as the ultimate sacrifice of all sacrifices. This is really important because Nehemiah, it's, it's good to pull leadership lessons from Nehemiah, and that's an appropriate way to apply this book. But before, leader, before Nehemiah is a leadership book, it's a book about God's narrative of redemption, how he's working out his narrative through all of history to bring to his people to himself and to redeem people in this world for him. It's first and foremost the experience of God's people on this path of redemption. So when they finished rebuilding this gate, which was the first gate they started, it says that they stopped and dedicated it. It was kind of a first fruit offering, a celebration, a worship to God. This is a good example to us. How many times do we pause in our ministry and celebrate, especially this part? It's almost like they said, okay, we've got the sheep gate done. We should stop because everything else we do hinges on this. Everything else we do hinges on this gate because this is the gate that the sacrifices come through. This is the gate that leads us into true, authentic worship of God. How many times in our ministry do we pause and celebrate and thank God, even in an unfinished project, for his grace and mercy? We should note that if you go to the end, and we'll, we'll get all the way through this chapter, I'm not going to read all the verses, but at the very end, in verse 32, it says, the room, between the, uh, the room and between the room above the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and merchants made repairs. So, Nehemiah starts with the sheep gate. He's going to explain in chapter 3 all of the work that was going on all around the, the wall of Jerusalem and end up with the, the sheep gate also because it starts and stops with the sheep gate. It starts and stops with redemption. It starts and stops with God's plan to reconcile us to himself in spite of our sin. So here's a question for you, church. Does everything we do at First Free start and stop at the sheep gate? That is, does it start and finish with the redemptive work of Jesus Christ as the highest priority? We should be able to look at every ministry program, every event, every class, every group, everything we do, every meeting we have at First Free. If it's under the auspices of our church, we should be able to look at everything we do and ask the question, how is this meeting or group or class uncovering our need for redemption through Christ? Or how is it explaining the provision of redemption through Jesus Christ? We should be able to look at anything we do and everything we do as a church and ask those two questions. How is this uncovering the need that someone has or the need we have for Christ or explaining his provision for our need? We should always start and stop at the sheep gate. We should start and stop with the redemptive work of Jesus Christ in our lives. The next principle is that everyone belongs on the wall. Everyone belongs on the wall. I'm going to read a longer section, so hang with me here. I'm going to start at verse 22, and this is just to give you a sampling of what this chapter is about. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 22. The next repairs were made by the priests from the surrounding region. After them, Benjamin and Hashub repaired the section across from their house. And Azariah, the son of Messiah, and the grandson of Ananiah repaired the section across from his house. Next was Benui, son of Hanadad, who rebuilt another section of the wall from Azariah's house to the angle and the corner. 
Palal, the son of Uzai, carried on the work from a point opposite the angle and the tower that projects up from the king's upper house beside the court of the guard. Next to him were Padiah, son of Parash, with the temple servants living on the hill of Ophel, who repaired the wall as far as the point across from the water gate to the east and the projecting tower. Then came the people of Tekoa, who repaired another section across from the great projecting tower and over to the wall of Ophel. And on and on we go throughout this entire chapter. That's kind of the, ten, the tenor of this whole description. Nehemiah is giving us very, very specific detail of who was on the wall, what part of the wall they were working on, how they were progressing in their work. We see rich people and poor people. We see regular laborers. We see skilled laborers. We see men, women, rulers, professionals. But on this, on this project, they were all on the wall working together. And they seem to be grouped kind of differently. Some were grouped in families. This family was working together. Others were grouped by trade guilds. These are the kind of skills craftsmen. They got together and took a section. Others had social or religious affiliation. Others had regular positions in their life, religious associations. We can learn from some of the other people who are mentioned. And if you go to Ezra, we get an interesting fact. In verse 11, there's a guy named Malchijah who's listed here as someone who's working on the wall. If you go to Ezra 10, which is an earlier account, account of an earlier visit when Ezra was in Jerusalem, he's listed in Ezra 10, this group of people that were repenting of their sins because Ezra was calling them to repent of their brokenness and their sin. And there was a list of people who had married foreign wives. And in doing so in the Old Testament, that meant kind of polluting the, the pure religion of, of Israel, of worshiping Yahweh by intermarrying with those who worshiped other gods. And so this man is listed in that chapter as someone who is building the wall, but is someone who repented of his sin. And I think that's encouraging for you and I. I hope it is, because there are all kinds of reasons why I could say I'm not fit to be on the wall. I'm not qualified to be on the wall. I've disqualified myself for being on the wall more than once. And yet God says, no, you're in Christ. You're on the wall. Get on the wall and let's get working. Lists matter. Lists are very important. There are all kinds of nonprofit groups and organizations that give lists of donors. And we can read those lists. And if we're not affiliated or not, we don't know, we're not insiders, it just looks like a list of names. But if you're a person who's received the services or benefited from that organization, that list of names is really important because that means everybody who contributed has a connection with you and with the work that you're doing and with helping you to grow. We may not realize the importance of this list, but every person is important who's working on the wall. God knows and cares for every one of us, whether you're serving, teaching, caring, praying, leading, whatever you're doing in this project to clean up the rubble, we're working together. I learned this lesson early in my pastoral ministry, and this is 28 years ago, I was preaching at the Peoria Rescue Mission, which I did once a year. I would take a week and preach to the the, the men who would come into the mission, kind of their meal ticket before they would get to lunch. And there's this room full of men who are drug addicts and alcoholics and broken in all kinds of ways. And I prepared my messages to share the gospel with them. And I was praying with a retired pastor who was had volunteered to kind of open the services, lead some songs. And as we were praying before we went out and I was going to preach to these men, this man prayed a prayer that I've never forgotten. He said, God, please answer some mother's prayer today. 
please answer some mother's prayer today. I thought, wow, I thought this was all about my sermon. It wasn't. Like, wow, my sermon is just one little piece of building the wall. And maybe God's using the, some grandmother or grandfather who's been praying, maybe been on their knees for years for one of these guys out here. And, and he's praying and I'm preaching and someone's playing the piano. And what's happening is we're all on the wall together to seek God's glory, to seek God's kingdom in these people's lives. So as you look through this chapter, it's quickly, you quickly see the organization of this whole thing. Nehemiah has this all set up. Each group was given a specific area to repair, to work on, based on who they were, where they lived. And in the New Testament church, we talk about giftedness. We talk about the gifts that God has given you, your spiritual gifts, your stage in life. We talk about your skills, the talents that you bring. We talk about your your maturity in life, the services that you've been able to accomplish. And those all come into play to say, wow, where are we going on the wall? How are we going to fit on the wall? Some of you are leading groups here at our church, men's groups, women's groups, adult communities, small groups. Some of you are serving in Kid Connection or in our student ministry. Others of you are serving in leadership boards as elders or deacons. Some of you are planning events that go on in our church. All of these things whether it's the care team counseling or, and, and don't even just think of our programs. Think outside of our programs, the things you do just in your regular life to serve, the way you're sharing love with your neighbors, the way you're paying attention to the person in the next cubicle who might be going through a hard time and you have an opportunity to say, hey, let's have lunch or let's talk, let's have coffee, let's figure this thing out together because I go through the same kinds of problems that you have. As you participate here at First Free, as you participate in life at First Free, in whatever smaller community you're in, this is an important question. How are we on the wall together? Scholars point out, by the way, that this is likely a transition in the Old Testament from main leaders like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and, and moving toward this section where it's not one leader who's doing all this, but everyone's involved on the wall. The priest and the laity are working together. And this is just one step towards the New Testament where we find, we read in fact in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, you are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. You got to get this. And what's more, you, you are his holy priests. You are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. See, we're all on the wall together. There's no more valuable person on the wall or less valuable person on the wall. Every one of us has been called. Here at First Free, we believe that the, the best place to be active in the wall is in some kind of smaller community whether it's a home small group or one of our Sunday morning adult communities or in men's ministry, women's ministry, one of our care groups, we have affinity groups. Because it's really hard to be connected in this big of a room and say, all right, we're working on this together. 
So one of the important things that we want to encourage you to do is if you're not plugged in somewhere with a smaller group of people, encourage you to do that. Go to first free or go to efree.org slash groups or give us a call at the church office. Stop by one of the information centers so we can help you get plugged in to a group where you can serve together, where you can ask this question together. How are we contributing individually and together as a group to what's going on on the wall? Now let's look at the third principle. Some will refuse to work. Some will refuse to work. Start reading in verse 3. The fish gate was built by the sons of Hesena. They laid the beam, set up the doors, and installed its bolts and bars. Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the grandson of Hakaz, repaired the next section of the wall. Beside him were Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, and the grandson of Meshobel, and then Zadok, the son of Benah. Next were the people from Tekoa, though their leaders refused to work with the construction supervisors. The old city gate was repaired by Jodiah, son of Pesiah, and Meshulam, the son of Besediah. They laid the beams, set up its doors, installed bar- bolts and bars. Next to them were Melatiah from Gibeon, Jadon from Maranoth, the people of Gibeon, and the people from Mizpah, the headquarters of the governor of the province west of the Euphrates River. Next was Uziel, son of Heriah, the goldsmith by trade, who, was work, who also worked on the wall. Behind him was Hananiah, the manufacturer of perfumes. They left out a section from Jerusalem, of Jerusalem as they built the broad wall. In the middle of all this description of everyone doing their part, everyone being on the wall, isn't it interesting that Nehemiah really pays attention and says, by the way, in verse 5, there were people from Tekoa who were working, but their leaders refused to work. Some, some, some uh, in versions say, some translations say, they didn't put their shoulder to the work. They wouldn't put their shoulder to the work. There are always going to be some. There will always be some who don't do their share of the work. And the picture in the Hebrew mind of this imagery of not putting your shoulder to the work is very, very familiar This phrase was used of a team of oxen. Oxen would be joined together with a yoke around their neck and their shoulders, and so they would push with their shoulders. And if there was an oxen on the team that wasn't pulling its own weight, wasn't really pushing, he wasn't putting his shoulder to the work. Still hooked up, still walking along, but not putting his shoulder to the work, not investing in the work that's going on here. That's what was happening here with these leaders. Now, we don't know why. Nehemiah doesn't tell us why. He doesn't give us the background of what's going on here. Maybe they were comfortable with the way things were. Maybe they had found some privilege or place of authority or power in the brokenness. And so for Nehemiah to come in and actually clean this up and to give some new direction, threaten them and their position, we we just don't know. But it's as though Nehemiah just mentions it and goes on. And this is important. Next week when we get to chapter 4, Nehemiah comes up with some real strategy for dealing with opposition. And and he's very strategic and very direct. He's really not here. In fact, it's almost like he just glosses over it. All these people are working on the wall. Everyone's doing their part. And the nobles of Tekoa, they're not going to put their work, they're not putting their shoulders to the work. But everyone else is really working hard. There are times when confrontation are really needed. There are times when what's important is to have the hard conversation and sit down with someone and say, hey, here's what I'm seeing. 
We're not working together. You're not investing yourself. You're not leaning into the work that God's given us to do. But here it seems like Nehemiah, at least in this situation, is taking a little different tack. You see, sometimes the best way to deal with the weeds is to grow the grass. Sometimes the best way to deal with the weeds is to make sure we've got a lush lawn of grass and it's really hard for weeds to grow. Seems like that's kind of at least what Nehemiah is saying here. Let's continue to focus on the work that we're doing. And the leaders of, of Tekoa, they're either going to get with a program or this is going to be a really uncomfortable place to be if everyone else is building a wall and we're seeing progress here and things are happening. I like, there's a New Testament principle or verse that gives us some principle for how we deal with these, that this 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14 Paul says, brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take care of those who are weak, and be patient with everyone. It's just a brilliant way of doing life, isn't it? It's like, in order to gauge whoever it is, maybe it's someone in your small group, maybe it's someone in your family, someone you know here at church or in a ministry team, just doesn't seem like they're really getting into it. They're not really putting their shoulders to the work. It's easy just to become critical. But what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians is, no, we actually need to step back and ask, why are they not? If the best we can tell the heart condition is idleness or sloth, you need to get in their face a little bit and say, hey, come on, get with the program. If it's timidity, you need to encourage them a little bit. Say, hey, I think, I think we can do this. If it's weakness, you need to help them. And I love that Paul says, and be patient with everyone, because we all need that. I mean, we all need that. How long does it take me to get it? And think, if we don't think that's an exhaustive list, and we even add others like shame and fear and brokenness, that the best way to approach someone in our group or in our church doesn't feel like they're really with the program, they're not really putting their shoulder to the work of gospel ministry, is not to judge or criticize, it's to come alongside and understand them. What is it behind that? And then how can we best love and pull them into the work? So whenever we encounter a Christ follower who's not involved in the community and service for the gospel, we need to take that approach. The next principle, principle number four, is that serving is exciting. Serving God can be incredibly exciting. Starting with verse 19. Next to them, Ezra, son of Jeshua, the leader of Mizpah repaired another section of the wall across from the ascent to the armory near the angle in the wall. Next to him was Baruch, son of Zebai, who zealously repaired an additional section from the angle to the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. Merimoth, the son of Uriah, and the grandson of Hakaz rebuilt another section of the wall, extending from the door of Eliashib's house to the other end of the house. So in sharp contrast to the nobles of Tekoa who didn't put their work shoulders to the work, there's this guy Baruch who Nehemiah didn't describe the emotional investment of anyone else who's building this. So this guy must have been different. This is the guy who got up early, was on the job site early, whistling, singing, hey, welcome to work today. Let's get this thing going. And he's the guy after he finished his task for the day, can I help you with yours? Isn't this cool that we're building the wall? And just incredible enthusiasm about building a wall and cleaning up rubble. That's the flavor that we get from this guy. We don't know why. We don't know what it was about him. But Nehemiah seemed to need to say he did it with heart. He did it with enthusiasm. Romans chapter 12, 
verse 11, Romans 12, 11 reads, Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Serve the Lord enthusiastically. This verse from Romans is in a section that celebrates life in the community. Why would we not be enthusiastic about serving the Lord? After all, hasn't he redeemed us and rescued us and given us hope beyond all the brokenness of this world? Why would we not be enthusiastic about helping our neighbors and the people we work with and the people that we know and our family and our children and our parents understand the transformation of Jesus Christ in our lives? When is the most amazing thing that happens? When the only two things someone has said that last forever are God's word and people, and, and we, we're in on it, we get to build the wall, we get to help people grow through God's word. Why would I not be more excited about this than anything else that I'm involved in in life? If there was such a thing, and I don't think there is, but if there was such a thing, if we attached an enthusiasm meter to your service, what would we find out? If we would attach an enthusiasm meter to the way you served God, to the way you did your work that God's calling you to do, what would we find out? Maybe it would be a low reading. If so, we would ask why? Why the low reading? What do we need to do? What are we missing? It's certainly not the gospel's fault. It's certainly not God's fault. We've got the most incredible message of salvation and freedom that this world has ever known, and we've been called to give it to people, and we've been given the Holy Spirit to empower us to do it. It's not his fault. The problem's down here somewhere. So then we start asking, what's the problem? Maybe it's a problem that I need to be reconnected with who Christ is and with what he's done in me. Maybe you need to hang out in the first chapter of Ephesians a little bit more. The first chapter of Ephesians, they're, they're all good, but the first chapter of Ephesians talks about being in Christ. And when you're in Christ, what that means, that, that Christ lives in you. The power of God is alive in you to do the work that he wants to do in you. And there's nothing that happens in your life that's done apart from that power. Nothing. No surprises from God. Or maybe... You need to go to a verse like Hebrews 10, 23 and memorize it and meditate on it. A verse like that that speaks to God's faithfulness. Sometimes the problem, we're not enthusiastic because we really get down. And if we look at what's going on in the world, I mean, I think an honest appraisal of what's going on in the world, we would probably be moderately depressed, wouldn't we? I mean, this is just really a mess. But... We really get down because we don't compare that to the faithfulness and the promises of God. It's when we look at the mess of this world in comparison to the promises of God and his indwelling in us through the Holy Spirit that we think, wow, this is exciting. Instead of bemoaning the fact that our culture is going more and more farther away from any morals, from any kind of anchors in what we would call a Judeo-Christian ethic, instead of bemoaning that fact, we're like, wow, we are getting more and more opportunities every day to help people know Jesus Christ. Because the farther our culture gets away, the brighter the light of the gospel becomes. That's what we need to do. So how are you doing at enthusiasm? How are you doing at investing yourself? We've got a group of high school students that are, that are demonstrating that this week. This week is spring break. 
and spring break in most of our understanding of what we see in the world is a me time. It's about me. It's about me going to the beach. It's about me investing in my time. It's about me not having to go to school. It's about me having time off. We've got a group of high school students and leaders from First Free that are using their spring break this week. Instead of me time, they're going to Saint, the city of St. Louis, and they're going to be doing service projects all week and serving and being on the wall. That's enthusiasm. That's what it means to serve enthusiastically. The last principle that I want to share with you, and there are many more we could pull out of this, but the last one I'll share with you is that ministry begins close to home. Ministry begins close to home. Jump in with me at verse 28. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired the wall. Each one repaired the section immediately across from his own house. Then Zadok, the son of Emar, also rebuilt the wall across from his own house. And beyond him was Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the gatekeeper of the east gate. Now Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hunan, the sixth son of Zelaph, repaired another section, while Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, rebuilt the wall across from where he lived. Malchijah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the wall as far as the housing for the temple servants and the merchants across from the inspection gate. Then he continued as far as the upper room at the corner. The other goldsmiths and merchants repaired the wall from that corner to the sheep gate. So this gets it all the way around the wall of Jerusalem. We see that these workers were apparently assigned, not all of them, but many of them were assigned the portion of the wall that was right outside their window, right outside where they lived. Nehemiah knew that they would work much more diligently on the portion of the wall that affected them the most. It gave the residents of Jerusalem a chance to see what the change is going to be. How's this going to make a difference for me? Keep in mind, they've been living in this rubble for about a century. This is not anything new. Nebuchadnezzar tore this city down and destroyed the walls a hundred years before this. What happened for them, which is what happens for us, is they probably resented it and were very angry early, or those people who actually experienced it early. And we can resent it and be angry at the brokenness. And then you, you kind of get used to it. I mean, it's not what happens in our houses. I mean, yeah, that's a mess. Or yeah, that door's broken, but it's my broken door. You know, I know that broken door. I'm familiar with that broken door now. I'm used to that handle not working. I'm used to having to bang on this to get it. I mean, it's kind of like they looked out the window like, yeah, that's a rubble mess, but it's my mess. I mean, I'm used to it now. And, and in a weird way, what happens not cognitively, but in our hearts, we actually come to depend on it. We come to depend on and lean on the very brokenness around us as a source of stability. I'm going to be uh, teaching at a marriage retreat for another church next weekend. And this is the, the topic of all of my talks is gaining a new perspective on marriage. Because sometimes in our marriages, we start looking around and we get accustomed and accept the brokenness. It's like, yeah, this is just how it is, but it's, it's my brokenness and I'm accepting it. And no, we're not close. And no, we don't talk a lot. Uh, no, we don't have any real spiritual connection. But I'm used to that rubble. And it's my rubble. And I'm depending on it. And the thought of changing it is a little alarming. And that's what was happening here. Nehemiah was sort of shaking things up, giving them a new perspective. He wanted people to understand that this is not okay. It's not been okay. And God wants something more for you. He wants you to look out and see a wall that glorifies God, a wall that reflects all the people around, that there's a God of Israel who wants to make his name huge here. 
There needed to be an internal adjustment before there could be that external change. So the question for us today in this principle is, what's the section closest to our home? What is the section of the wall that's closest to our home? Moms and dads, your spiritual family, building into your children, into your family, what it means to follow after God, modeling the love and grace of Jesus Christ, our neighbors, people we work with, who's right across from you. I think this gets into what we call just the common, everyday, ordinary Christian life, doesn't it? Sometimes we want, we want our service to be, and it's cool when it is, this amazing thing that dazzles people and people are impressed with, but most of the Christian life is just me going about my day and the power of the Spirit and taking advantage of the opportunities that God brings with the people I live with, work with, go to school with, with the people that I interact with. That's where we're building the wall. There are large and small ways to do this. We, we had a sermon series last year called How to Neighbor. If you were with us, do you remember that? We spent like four weeks, I think, talking about how to actually be a neighbor to someone in a way that would give us an opportunity to share God's love. Not in a project kind of way, but just in a natural way because it's the most incredible message the world's ever seen or ever heard. If you, if you need to be reminded, go back to our website, efree.org, and go to the sermons and look at that and listen to those. If you weren't with us at that time, go listen to those. Some amazing principles. One easy way right now that you can do in the next few weeks is our children's ministry, our Kid Connection, is going to have an Easter egg hunt outreach event on Saturday, April 13th. There, there are actually cards at the door, at the welcome centers at each end of the lobby. We're inviting all kinds of kids. We want all kinds of kids to come. There's going to be a petting zoo. There's going to be lunch. There's going to be connections and gospel presentations for these kids in an appropriate way. And the question is, well, here's what we could do. We could announce that and say, Easter egg hunt April 13th, make sure you know. Or we could say, wow, how is that a part of the wall out front of my house? Where are there children in my world that I live near, that I go to work with someone who has young kids, go to school with someone who has young kids? How, how, can I, how can I invite and bring the children in my world here for this outreach event, which has been planned to help them become part of our church family, become among us and say, wow, this is a group I want to know because they know Jesus Christ, and then hopefully have them encounter Jesus Christ. What does it look like to be on the wall near where you live? Who are the people that God has brought into your sphere of influence to influence for him? So those are my five principles. We could probably full, pull five or ten more out very easily. And I encourage you to do that. Dive into this. And what are the transferable principles for our life today? But in this chapter, we read of priests and laborers, sons and daughters, immigrants, goldsmiths, perfume makers, politicians, residents, servants, and merchants. But on this day in Nehemiah, they're all workers on the wall. All of the things that distinguish them go away. They're secondary to we're all workers on the wall. Today in this room, we're pastors and salespeople and homemakers and teachers and fathers and mothers and sons and daughters and laborers and professionals and add whatever title you want to that. That's all we are. But more than that, more than that, we've been given the privilege and the opportunity and the charge to be workers on the wall, to transform the rubble that's all around us to something that's going to bring glory and honor to God. 
I think the words of Jesus in his prayer in, Matthew, in John chapter 17 capture the heart of this passage for us today. Jesus is praying towards the end of his ministry. And he said, I'm praying not only for these disciples, speaking of the ones with him, but also for those who will ever believe in me through their message. So he's praying for us. He said, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be so in us that the world will believe that you sent me. May we be so one working on the wall, helping to take the gospel to people that need to hear it, demonstrating to people the love and the grace of Jesus Christ, that the world around us, the, this part of St. Louis County, this part of our city, this part of our country, our world will know because of what we're doing on the wall that there is a God and he has sent Jesus Christ to be their redeemer. Will you pray with me? God, this is a really amazing picture of how you have designed your people from the Old Testament all the way through today. Thanks for the reminder and the example of how we can depend on you to accomplish your will, to, to make glory for yourself out of the work that we do. None of us deserve to be on the wall. We've not earned a position, but you've redeemed us and called us to actually be part of your kingdom building work. So I pray for our church here at First Free, for each one of us, wherever we're plugged in or greater or lesser ways we're plugged in, that we would hear from you this day and this week as to how we are going to be active in making a difference on the wall. Maybe it's reaching out to a neighbor who's shut in or sick. Maybe it's signing up to be part of a ministry program here at our church. Maybe it's, maybe it's encouraging our group to, to take more action into a, a social area in, this, in our lives that needs the gospel presence, Lord. We want it to be led by you, and we want at the end of the day for you to get all the glory and honor. Amen. We're going to have some people from our prayer team up here after the service. Please come up and Talk to them if you have anything you want to pray about. We'll see you next week.